Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. I'm your host, Marie Sola. Each week, we'll be bringing you stories from around the globe of the women and girls who are changing the world, each in their own unique way. Amanda Place is a certified alcohol and drug counselor and a recovery advocate. After surviving a decade-long addiction to heroin, she entered recovery in 2013. For the past four years, Amanda has worked in the field of substance use for a variety of local organizations, providing counseling to individuals with substance use disorders. She has experience working with a variety of populations, including criminogenic, prenatal women, and women and children. Amanda's personal experience in recovery has given her the ability to meet individuals where they're at in their recovery process. Her focus is to support individuals on their journey to self-actualization. Amanda integrates a variety of treatment modalities, including acceptance commitment therapy, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and expressive therapy. Amanda believes that all individuals can change the trajectory of their lives from a path of self-destruction to a path of recovery through treatment, connection, and community. This podcast is really special to my heart because Amanda is my niece. And so as we talk about her journey to healing, it's something that um, I've experienced alongside her to a certain extent. So I can't tell you... um, without getting choked up, how happy I am to see this beautiful, healthy young woman sitting in front of me and making change in the world. My daughter of change niece, Amanda, who I also call Pandy. Uh, So Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Amanda, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, from addiction to now actually being out there helping other people in recovery really beautiful thing yeah yeah so i um you know i started using drugs and alcohol at a pretty young age um you know when i first started using you know it's so interesting how it's it's different for everybody but for me i remember i was going through a lot of like kind of like depression type stuff and uh you know, the first time I put a substance into my body, it just, it, it worked. Um, and I couldn't wait to do it again. And I continued to use, and each time I did, it got worse and worse. Um, by the time I was 18, I found myself in a detox center, my very first detox, um, detoxing from heroin. And, you know, the progression of the de- disease of addiction just continued for me. Uh, I pr- hit some pretty high bottoms in the sense of, you know, you draw those lines in the sand that you won't cross. And each time, you know, you cross them, uh, you draw another line in the sand and, you know, you continue to cross it. And uh, for me, drugs totally had power over me. Um, addiction is a very isolating disease. So I really found myself towards the end very isolated from you know, family and friends, uh, my children, just completely disconnected. And I couldn't see a way out. I think that's like the thing that 
is so interesting. And I think sometimes when people are trying to kind of understand addiction is it's like you're in such a hopeless place. Um, you know, I remember some of the thoughts that were running through my head before I got sober. It was a lot of them were, you know, my kids are better off without me. Just, you know, really, really, really like dark, uh, just hopeless. I, you know, I can't recover from this. Other people can do it. That's great for them. You know, I've kind of accepted that this is how I'm going to live my life. So, you know, it, it gets it gets lonely. It gets very isolating and it, it makes it so challenging um, to reach out for help or accept help even uh, when you're feeling so awful about yourself. So, Amanda, what do you want people to know about recovery? Mm. Well, first of all, I want people to know that it's possible. People can recover. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, how does one move from a place of complete hopelessness to having hope and and changing their lives? And 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 hope is kind of that's the the first thing. I feel like um, you know, when I first entered recovery, I would hear stories of other other people's stories. And their stories gave me a lot of hope because they had been in some of the same places that I had been in. And, um, you know, they were living much different lives. So if there's anything I want people to know is that it is possible. It can happen. Um, You know, giving yourself a shot, you got to give yourself a shot. Um, And that's really, really hard when you don't believe that you're worth it. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's hard when you're like, I don't actually know if I'm, if I'm worth that shot. But, um, you know, I almost didn't give myself a chance and I'm so glad that I did. I, I think about that a lot. It's like I could have gone in one direction or the other. I could have totally moved back into that place of, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. I'm glad it works for other people, but it's not going to work for me. Um, and, you know, with some open-mindedness and some willingness, you know, I entered recovery. And and I think that's probably the biggest thing for people to know is just like it, it's it's possible. It, it takes a lot of work. It's an inside job, but it is possible. It is possible. Well, you're, you're proof of that. What, what's it like to be a woman in recovery? Is, are there different nuances um, for women in recovery than for men in recovery? Or is it kind of one size fits all? Um, recovery is not one size fits all. And I think, you know, different genders deal or experience sometimes, um, different kind of stereotypes. Uh, But the one thing that I will say is being a woman in recovery was incredibly challenging. Uh, There's not as many resources, uh, especially for women who have children. Uh, So that was kind of the biggest barrier at times when, you know, needing to go, um, you know, to a recovery meeting or, needing to go to therapy, whatever I was doing at the time, uh, you know, my kids, I didn't have anybody to watch my kids. So they had to to be involved, you know, in that process with me. Um, and there's a lot of, I think there's just in general, there's a lot of judgment with women who are in their addiction, who have children, whether that's, you know, the pregnant mother who is using and can't stop or, you know, the mother who's had her her children taken by CPS or removed, I should say, by CPS. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stigma. We tend to, you know, I was reading something on Facebook the other day. There was a, a person that I know uh, who just recently got in, in trouble for 
uh, some drug use and her, her children were with her at the time. And there was an article and people were just saying awful, awful things like you should win mother of the year award or you're useless. You're better off dead. Just like really awful things. And it's like for, I think women in general, but also for moms in recovery, there's just a lot of extra hurdles and stigma that, uh, you know, you got to kind of work through. So there are resources out there, but it definitely, um, luckily in the state of Maine, at least there's uh, some quite some great programs for women who need to have their children with them while in treatment. But yeah, yeah so are are there are there diff- so there are different resources really depending on on whether you have kids or whether you're single, whether you're a man, whether mm-hmm. you're a woman. So you have to be able to find those, right? Yeah, there. I know when I got sober, one of the biggest challenges for me a was finding a treatment center that would take myself and my children. Because you have to think if a woman's trying to enter treatment, she has her children. She can't just leave them by themselves while she's in residential treatment. Uh, And the other was when I got out of residential treatment, I knew I wanted to continue in a sober living. And it's very, very hard to find. There's only one that I know of um, in this local area that provides sober living for women who need to bring their children with them. So I was able to, you know, get in somewhere and I'm super grateful for that program, but it's it's a challenge for sure. Are we allowed to give them a shout out? I think we could give them a shout out. Because I just, <laughs> I, someday when I win the lottery, I so, and I'm putting it here out, when I win the lottery someday, I'm going to give them a donation. Yeah. The Macaulay House mm-hmm. is Phenomenal. It is. It's a great it really program. Is. It's a phenomenal program. And, and there needs to be more programs like that Absolutely. around the country, probably around the world, mm-hmm. I would imagine, right? So yeah. really, you know, kudos. Kudos to a, a job well done. Mm-hmm. Amanda, how how important is the role of family mm. in the process of recovery? Is it a hindrance? Is it helpful? Or can it be either or? I think it can be both depending on, you know, the family dynamic. So, you know, for me personally, I was super, super blessed and and very lucky. And I have so much gratitude towards all my family uh, because my family was super supportive of me. They were able to set some really hard boundaries with me during my addiction. Uh, you know, one thing I always say when working with affected others is, you know, it's okay to love the person and not love their disease. And it's okay to let them know that you're going to support the person, but not their disease. And my family did a really good job of executing that during some interventions that took place before I entered treatment and entered recovery. You know, but some people don't have, and a lot of people don't have that. Uh, You know, some people's family they they use with their family some people's family members have been abusive in the past there's trauma like so not everybody has that but you know for the people who do have a, a strong support system within their family you know family members can play a huge role in helping a person you know get into recovery for sure for people that do have loved ones or family that are concerned about them what are some of the things that they can do to help support their loved one that they're concerned about whether particularly before they've 
um, well, actually, before they've gone into recovery, like before they've even admitted that they're ready to go into recovery, how can they help that process along? Can they? Um, and once they're in recovery, what what are the best things that somebody could do for somebody they care about in that situation? Yeah, and I can, you know, I really can only speak on my own experience here, but one thing that I think was really helpful was, you know, my family set boundaries with me um, and gave me choices. So when I first got, when I first entered into recovery, there were a lot of boundaries that were set as far as, uh, you know, where I could live and, you know, how long I had to live there. So for example, uh, I was staying at my mom's house when I first got sober and my I remember my family came in, you know, you know this, aunt included, and they were like, you cannot go back to your grandmother's house. That was just, um, my grandmother, she, God rest her soul, but she's an amazing person, but also my biggest enabler. And so for me, it was really important to have people come in and set that boundary for her in a way where they were like, okay, you're, this isn't happening. And, you know, that prompted me to look into other more longer term treatment because I knew that I didn't have all these other options. So, you know, setting those boundaries, you know, if I asked my mom for money, you know, she would give, should buy me food. She wouldn't give me the money. Like there are ways that, you know, my family was able to support me but not support my addiction. And that took a really long time. Like I think it was maybe like a year ago where my family started giving me like money and Christmas cards again. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, you know, it's, it's so funny, but it, I shouldn't be laughing. Well, it's it's true, you know. It's I'm only like, laughing because she's my niece. <laughs> you know, they it, it it took a while for those relationships to to start to heal. You know, as I not as I heal, so doesn't my kids, my whole entire family, a community. You know, because if I'm being a productive member of society you know, everybody's benefiting from that, right? Like I'm not sitting in a jail cell, you know, I, it just, everybody benefits. Yeah. So. And pumpkin's not your color, honey. No. Pumpkin <laughs> orange is not your color. <laughs> so, that's right. Everybody does. Uh, during your active addiction, was it hard to see how your, your actions were impacting other people? Was it apparent or was it afterwards that you were able to look back on that? Yeah, so I like to think of my addiction as like the total disconnection from oneself. So for me, I could not see how my behaviors were impacting other people. I knew that I was impact that it was hurting me and I didn't that's the thing about being an active addiction is it kind of gives you that ability to not care. Uh that's something that, you know, drugs and alcohol definitely do really well is, you know, people engage in, or for me, I engaged in substance use. I had all these negative behaviors that people can't stand, like manipulation, lying, um, stealing, all those awful behaviors that come along with the addiction. And then, you know, the guilt, shame, and remorse, the feelings that I would have about that, I would use over and over again to take that away so I didn't have to think about it. And so it was this vicious, vicious cycle. And yeah, I mean, it 
it kind of it it all sort of like meshes together. You get this like big ball of ick is the only <laughs> way I can describe it. And it's really challenging to see when you're in it how your behaviors are impacting other people. You you just it's so hard to see. For me at least it was so hard to see. And it wasn't until I got sober and really, really started in on my process of recovery that I was able to sit there and say, oh my gosh, you know, I, I would take my kids out with me to to go get drugs. You know, just like awful, awful things, really unsafe situations. And even just being there and being a parent who was completely disconnected, that had a huge impact on my children. I'm a mother myself, and I can only imagine the worry that my parents had. You know, but I can see that now in hindsight. But at the time, um, you know, the people who loved me, like I could not see that how my behavior was impacting them. I could really kind of only see how I was hurting myself, and I was hurting so bad that I just continued to hurt myself and, you know, wash it away with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I think you had said to me the other night and I had written this quote down because I thought it was just like so, you know, it really made me think. It was really kind of profound. And you said, addiction at its finest is the ultimate disconnection from yourself. Mm -hmm. So that that reminds me of what you were just talking about. Has recovery helped you to really get to know yourself in a way that you might not have if you hadn't been on this journey of healing? Yeah, definitely, for sure. I, uh, you know, there's a saying in recovery that recovery is an inside job, right? And uh, for me, that's so true because, I mean, I started using at like 15 years old. And I remember when I first got sober, I kept saying like, I just want my life back. I just want, like, when I got sober, I didn't have a lot of, you know, material things. I was not a productive member of society. Uh, you know, and I kept thinking, oh, I just want to get my life back. And truth be told, I was never really living in the first place. And I don't even know who that 15-year-old girl was. So a lot of early recovery and continuing in my path in recovery has been reconnecting to myself and, and getting to know myself and, you know, all of working through those feelings of shame and guilt and self-hatred. And, you know, it that that takes a while. That takes a lot of reflection, but it's been the coolest thing to be able to do. It's so awesome because, you know, by working on myself, I get to be the best version of myself. I have the opportunity to show up um, as the best version of Amanda, you know, and of course, from day to day, <laughs> that can vary. I'm by no means perfect, not even close, uh, but it's great to be able to be that work, constant work in progress, you know, um, and you know, I get to be a better person. And and that's kind of the nice thing is I, when I first got sober, I remember thinking that recovery was a destination and I'm just, I'm going to get there and I'll be there. And, you know, it really is a journey. And, and that, you know, for me has just proven to be true. It's like, okay, I just continue on this path. I get to know myself in a much deeper level each time I, you know, work my program of recovery. And, yeah, it's brought some amazing changes. Those nasty behaviors that I had with the lying, the manipulation, the stealing. Um, you know, I, I, when I first got sober, I didn't think I could be an honest person. Like, I didn't think that was possible. 
it was one of the things that almost deterred me from being, you know, choosing the path of recovery that I chose. Um, and, you know, I can like wake up today and for the most part, I'm like, yeah, I'm honest and I have the ability and the capability. That was something that I didn't think was possible. And, you know, I was able to work on some of these behaviors by looking at, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm living dishonestly, if I'm, if I'm lying, if I'm having this behavior, how, how, how do I stop that? And it was as simple as practicing honesty. Like, I'm just going to practice being honest and mindful and, and practice it. So each time I wanted to tell a lie about something stupid, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody would ask me like, oh, what city were you born in? And I can remember as a child, I'd always tell people I was born in California because I thought California was like way cooler than Maine. <laughs> but, you know, I was, you know, I, I actually practiced being honest, you know, yeah, I'm from Portland, Maine. Uh, so, you know, just by starting to work on that and chip that away. And, and the cool thing is that, you know, when I'm living in the truth and living in the truth about myself and my surroundings and my environment and my community and my family and my friends, you know, it's it's really hard when I'm living in the truth to fall back into those addictive patterns. So it, it's interesting too, because um, this kind of brings up like a thought and then a question. Uh, we were talking the other night and you were you were saying about how you check in with yourself every day. You know, was I a good person today? Like, what did I do? Like, oh my God, did it, you know, you find like, we all want like to dish the dirt once in a while, right? But you, but you stop yourself, you think about it, you check in. And I just kind of wonder if more people in recovery or otherwise, you know, that isn't just something that people in recovery should be doing. Everybody should be checking in. Um, with themselves. So I'm seeing that you're really living this life that's so much richer that way than many people, regardless of whether or not they've had been involved with substance use. And and you were saying, you know, how thankful you were of that. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, one thing about addiction is Society, we have such a way of dehumanizing people, people with mental illness, you know, people with addiction are homeless. Um, and, you know, addiction for me is a very human thing, right? It's that, you know, ability to self-soothe. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling discomfort. I'm in some sort of discomfort, right? The difference between me and, you know, someone who's not an addict is what I choose to self-soothe with is, is, is completely self-destructive. And... You know, being able to start to like get a real practice in, I think for me that was a big part of my recovery is, uh, you know, I started getting what I consider to be a spiritual practice. And for me, I really had to increase my awareness around my behaviors, right? Because I'm kind of the last to know. So everybody sees it before I do. And, um, so, you know, through, you know, my recovery work that I was doing, I continue to do, you know, I have a certain check-in that I do with myself. And I think that's helpful for for anybody, right? Because this is this is a very we're all having a human experience on this planet. And, you know, if you're living and breathing today, you're having a human experience. Uh 
And, you know, really being able to just sit in and check in with myself, like, how was my day? Or even in periodically throughout the day, you know, uh, you know, am I being kind? Am I being loving? Am I being patient? Am I being tolerant? Uh, and if I answer no to one of those questions, then I need to look at my behavior. You know, I, I got to kind of take a look and say, okay, let me step back for a moment because there's something here that I'm missing. And if I want to be the best version of myself, you know, I got to look at how my behavior continues to impact other people, right? Because just because I put the drink and the drug down doesn't mean that my behavior doesn't impact people. And, and that can be, you know, really positive and it, it can be really negative. So, you know, definitely having that, those moments of self-reflection and, you know, the program of recovery that I work really uh, has quite a bit of a spiritual component to it. So for me, beginning to develop a sense of faith was really, really, really important. It was something that I really needed, you know, um, so. Yeah, and faith is faith is really important because faith gives you hope. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, we're talking earlier in the, in the podcast about needing to have the hope to get yourself into recovery and just finding that hope, right? Because if you feel like there's no hope, I mean, that's when that's when bad things happen, either to ourselves or we're either doing bad things to ourselves or to others. If if there's no hope, there's nothing, right? Like people say, how are you today? And I say, well, I woke up on the right side of the dirt. That's like, if you're alive and there's hope, that's 99% of the battle, right? But if people don't have hope, and so to me, that's what faith, whether you're getting it through, you know, spirituality or, you know, a more or dogma or religion or, you know, sitting on top of a mountain and communing with nature, that faith that there's something greater than what's in front of us, it's so important. It, it is. And, and you know, a kind of a good example is today on my way here, uh, I got a flat tire on my like brand new car. This is the <laughs> first new car I've owned in recovery. And I was just sitting there and I was like, oh gosh, I got to get there. I got to get there. And you know, I really had to just trust that everything was working in my favor. And I was like, okay, they've got my back. Whoever, the universe, God, whoever this is, like somebody's got my back. And, you know, sure enough, um, a state trooper came to help me. My fiance came and all was well, right? And time sort of expanded, which is fantastic. So, but yeah, that's that's so important because it's those day-to-day -day things. You know, the difference between somebody who has a day sober and a person who has, you know, 25 years sober is that that person that has 25 years has learned how to live life on life's terms one day at a time without picking up. And that's, you know, it's it really is. It's like, okay, this is a a lifelong process of of learning and continuing to, you know, co-create. It's funny that you say that because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you uh, was something that we had talked about as well the other night and also sort of where the name for the podcast came up uh, came from. But you you said that it's a never-ending process of healing. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that you were talking about recovery, but that could also be life. But talk to me a little bit about what you meant by that. Yeah. So, you know, when I first kind of came into recovery and I started really working on myself, I, I 
started to have these realizations like, okay, this is, you know, you got to change your behaviors. You got to focus on being a better person. And, um, you know, that's definitely a, a part of it too. But for me, I didn't realize how wounded I was. I didn't realize um, it took me a really long time to be able to connect with my own suffering and my own pain. And, you know, I remember when I was like sitting in the thick of it, uh, I was like, oh, this is so painful. This is so uncomfortable. And I didn't realize that in order to start to heal, I had to sit with that pain and that discomfort for a little while. And, you know, being in recovery has provided me, you know, opportunities to heal in in ways that I never imagined possible. Uh, you know, probably three years into my recovery, I got to do some trauma work through EMDR therapy. That was incredibly healing, um, you know, and then just being open to experiences, right? Like I'm present today most of the time. <laughs> and, you know, I've been able to have some experiences that I couldn't get in, you know, therapy or I couldn't get, you know, going to church or whatever. I've I've have just been presented some really amazing experiences. Uh, one in particular that comes to mind is there was this person that I was reconnected with through just a really, really, it was a really dark time, probably like the darkest time in my life in, in my addiction for sure. And, uh, you know, I was at this recovery event and I had just, like, I was thinking about this girl and I was like, gosh, I don't even know her name. I'll, I'll never be able to, you know, reconnect with her. And that's fine, right? There's some times where that can't happen. And um, sure enough, I ran into her oh, at wow. this event. And, you know, she was actually like a, a like speaking publicly at this recovery event. Um, but, you know, this girl said like all the right things to me um, in the sense of she just provided so much healing. And she actually said, I'm so glad I could be a part of your healing process. And, you know, that's so amazing. I couldn't I couldn't have ever thought that up or searched for that. You know what I mean? Like I just had to be present to the experience and open to the experience and, uh, you know, continuing to follow my intuition. And, you know, it's definitely led me down a path of healing. And that's such a gift, such a gift. What was it, what was it as you came through your experience that, what was that catalyst that, that made you decide that you now wanted to go out and help other people through addiction and recovery? Yeah. So, you know, part of the recovery program that I work, uh, there's a, a part of that program in which, you know, you do go out and help others, you know, in a more of a peer-related type way. Um, when I got sober, I had, I kind of, started to make some career changes. Um, well, I didn't have a career when I first got sober. Let me rephrase that. Uh, but you were in school. <laughs> I was in school. Yeah. I was in school. And I was in school uh, pursuing a degree in occupational therapy. And at the time when I first got sober and was able to finally, you know, get back into school, I didn't actually go back to school for about a year. So it was a, I was at least a year sober before I went back to school. And for me, it just, I really needed to focus on my recovery. I solely focused on my recovery that first year. And, and for me, that was really, really helpful. Um, but, 
you know, I was sitting there and my daughter was having some substantial um, mental health stuff going on at the time. And, uh, you know, people thought maybe she had autism. And I initially going into OT wanted to be an OT to work with autistic children. And I was like, there's no way I can do that. I can't, I couldn't do that for work and then try to go home and, um, and, you know, have, have to do that at home too. So, uh, I kind of had a look at like, what is occupational therapy and what drew me to it? And the way that I look at OT is it's kind of that bridge between social work and medical. Uh, so, you know, I knew I wanted to do, be some sort of a healer, you know? And so I started, you know, I changed my major. I went to SMCC, which I just have to say, SMCC was such an amazing and supportive community and resource for me when I first got sober. They were so, so helpful. Every professor, just, it's such an amazing college. And I feel like I just need to put a plug out to SMCC. It is a great school. It really is. I love that school. And, uh, you know, I pursued a degree in human resources and, uh, or human, human resources, human health and services. And, you know, I got, I started to learn, you know, I want to be a counselor. Uh, So, you know, I sat for my uh, certified alcohol and drug counselor and I just knew that, you know, mental health in general is something that I'm super passionate about. And I love counseling. I love, um, you know, working with people. I love working with clients and, and really being able to to provide that space where you can, you can sit with someone in that moment where they're in pain and and they're really suffering and just be able to hold space for that. It's so amazing. And, and it's, it's such a gift. Like my clients teach me so much every day, you know, it's, 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 it's really, for me, it's been an amazing career change. And, uh, you know, I can hoping to continue, uh, my degree in mental health. So, well, it, it would seem to me that sort of on both ends of the coin, it must feel somewhat empowering um, for you to be able to go back and help people through something you went through. And on the other side, you know, I'm speaking for myself, if I were in a position of needing to go into recovery, I would prefer to be working with somebody who knew what I was experiencing, right? Because sometimes there are just certain things you can't until you've been through it yourself, you can't fully understand it, you know? So I'm always amazed by the daughters of change I talk to um, through various, you know, social causes or things that they're doing. Oftentimes, they've gone down that trajectory because of something that's happened to them or something that they've done. And I'm not saying that men don't do that too. I really find that that nurturing part of the female energy, let's just call it that because men can have female energy. A lot of people can, right? But there's that nurturing piece that wants to give back and pay it forward. And it's so important for people on the other end to to really be able to connect with somebody, I would imagine. Absolutely. You know, like I said, it it addiction's kind of that ultimate disconnection from oneself. And, you know, there were so many, I've worked with me personally as the client has I've been you know, I've had such an honor and a privilege to have some phenomenal providers here um, in the in my area. And, 
you know, to be able to give back in that way is is amazing. And and all the people I worked with, you know, when I was, you know, at sober living or with my drug and alcohol counselor, my, you know, EMDR therapist, you know, all of those, the the social workers, the caseworkers, you know, everybody who was a part of this on, and helped me on my journey, they all taught me something so important about myself. And, you know, having the experience of, you know, going through it, I, I have a, a different set of lenses, I guess you could say. But also the people who, who, you know, were brought into my path that weren't in recovery also taught me a lot because they taught me about, you know, I'm that person that, you know, I think just insane things. It reminds me of like, okay, this is a, di- this is the difference, right? Um, you know, I remember talking to a friend of mine one day who's, you know, she's not an alcoholic or an addict. And um, I was saying something to her about, you know, something about, it was something along the lines of like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, I I could be a bartender. And she was like, um, how about we just think about that real quick? <laughs> she was like, just for a moment. And it this was, you know, very early on in my recovery. But, you know, people, they do, they teach you so much because it's like, oh yeah, that's right. That's where my thinking is a little bit twisty, right? Because my addiction wants me, it, it, my addictive thinking, it helps me think that like, oh yeah, I could do that. And that's like a totally good idea, totally safe. Like that doesn't put your recovery at risk at all, right? Like, so stuff like that. It's, you know, people, everybody played a part and and a big role in my recovery. But I do think that it changes your lenses a bit. Um, you know, my lenses, a lot of times, you know, in working with clients, it having the experience that I have, I can kind of see where their thought process is going before it it kind of goes full force and and gets to a place where, you know, they're not. Well, <laughs> they be, don't want to be. You know, give me that extra like spidey sense tool yeah. in your tool belt, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So before we we start wrapping up, I I do want to just take it a little further. You said I want to finish my degree, but you have bigger plans than that. So I, I just think it's amazing um, the trajectory you've taken. So what is it beyond just, I know you want to finish a degree, but explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So currently um, I work for a nonprofit organization and you know the bulk of my clientele right now are um, clients who are involved in the criminal justice system and or clients who are involved in family court system as a result of, you know, um, child protective services being involved. So I really love and I'm very passionate about working um, with those populations. It's, you know, it's definitely my soul work for sure. Uh, But, you know, I have such a big vision for myself, which when I first got sober, my vision was so small. Like my life is so abundant today. Um, you know, I get to be a mom to my kids and, and really fully be present for them. I am engaged, which is amazing. <laughs> I found somebody. They're who, pretty amazing kids. I'm kind of impartial, but yeah. they're really. Or I'm not impartial. I should say I'm very partial, <laughs> but they are pretty, um, pretty awesome. 
But, you know, I I want to further my mental health degree and finish up with a master's in social work so I can do mental health counseling as well. And, you know, I really have a passion for working. I, I currently, you know, because of my work, uh, I see a lot of women who are victims of human trafficking. So I would love to, you know, once I obtain my mental health degree, do something, you know, with substance use and human trafficking because the two, they such a high correlation and you know there's not a lot there are definitely services and resources in the state but you know for the amount of trafficking that's happening we could definitely use more so I would love to do something with that and that's you know what I hope to do and that's why you're a daughter of change Amanda what is the best piece of advice you have for the people out there listening and the other daughters of change in the world mm. So, and and I know when we talked about this the other day, you know, it really got me thinking. And I think for me, like the best advice I could give to someone, um, or if I were to give it uh, this way, I'll put it, if I were to give it to, you know, my, my younger self, uh, it would be just detached from all those, all those stories. You know, when I was using, I attached to so many just awful negative stories about myself that weren't even true. Like it it wasn't even true. And by attaching to those stories, I really, really, really found it hard to want to give myself a chance, to want to give myself a shot, to to feel that I was worthy enough, um, you know, to be in recovery, to to be able to have good and abundant things come my way. So I think if there's any piece of advice I could give to people is like, you can do this. It, it takes a lot of work, right? Like it's it's not easy. Um, it's it's definitely not easy, but you know, you will be amazed if you give yourself a chance. And and this is for anybody, whether you're you're struggling with addictions or you're not. You know, you're wondering whether or not you should go for that promotion at work or you know whatever this is for you. Just just give yourself a chance. You know, settle the you know shut off, turn off whatever it is in your head that's telling you that you can't. And, you know, really tune in that that little voice and, and get it loud that's telling you that you can. And just, you know, know that you're worthy and that you can do this. And, you know, it takes work, but keep trying. I see people every day who are trying so hard. You know, and just because I'm sitting here sober today doesn't mean that, you know, I couldn't go back out, right? Like, this is a disease, and we know that it's progressive. And it can be fatal, but, you know, that's why I treat my disease on a daily basis. And, you know, I sit with people on a day-to-day basis who are trying really, really, really hard. And this is something actually I do think people should know is they're trying so hard. I see how hard they're, they're fighting the good fight. And despite where somebody winds up, they're still fighting the good fight, right? Whether, you know, I see a lot of people who have fought really, really hard to stay alive and didn't and 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 passed away of this disease. And I know the newspapers are flooded with it. We have a lot of media, you know, focusing on this epidemic right now. But, you know, keep trying. You know, if there's, if you got one thing, it's keep trying. Every day you wake up and you're alive and you're breathing, it's another shot, another opportunity, so. And how can the community help people either in the throes of addiction or in recovery? Yeah. So 
that's a good question. You know, when I got sober, there was my recovery community, of course, who were, you know, amazing and loved me right where I was at and really gave me that ability to, you know, to learn how to love others where they're at in their process, no matter where they're at. Um, However, you know, there was a lot of people in the community that I don't even know, right, just in our local community here that, you know, donated things, donated items. Uh, when I was, you know, living in sober living, there were people who came in and and volunteered their time and and, and taught cooking classes and, and did some really cool stuff. Like I learned some really great life skills from these people who who volunteered their time. And then even just down to the person who like, you know, holds the door for you. Or the person who like smiles and says hi. You know, like when you are so used to not being seen and kind of isolated and hiding, like that speaks volumes to someone. You know, it 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 totally does. You know, kindness, just being kind in general goes a really long way. You know, when you're having a really, really tough day and somebody does like the simplest thing and does something really, really nice for you, you know. That's just like, okay, you know, like my, my, that might change the trajectory of my day. So, you know, people who I don't even know, who I've never even met, um, were letting me know that they believed in me and um, that I was worth their time, right? Those volunteers, like I, I was worth their time. My family was worth their time, um, you know people who said hi to me or held the door for me, right? Like that was sending a much larger message to me and that support in and of itself. And it's it's simple, you know what I mean? A lot of times we don't think about, you know, we think of the things that we can do and yes, you know, volunteering and giving money or, you know, helping that person, that friend of yours. Maybe you have a friend who is struggling and they finally call you and ask you for help. Like, just listening and validating is so healing in and of itself. Um, but yeah, just that, I feel like kindness goes so far. And especially in the society, we're so quick to to judge addicts and stigmatize them. And, um, you know, just, you know, being loving and kind and compassionate, you know, just showing that to someone else. Um, you know, if you're walking by somebody on the street today who's, you know, begging for money or, you know, just a simple smile, anything, you know, humanize people. Like, let's look them we're in the all eye. human. Yeah. yeah. Let I them feel know like, that you see them, right? Yeah. I feel like that's that's huge, you know, especially when people are struggling. You're so vulnerable. And, you know, just those little acts of of kindness, for me at least, they went so far when, you know, people would do something kind or volunteer their time or, you know, things that people donated, you know, simple toiletries and stuff like that. Like when I was in sober living, I couldn't afford. That was huge. That was so huge. It was something I didn't have to worry about, you know? So, um, yeah, there's been so many great things that the community has has done for me. And uh, But I really do believe that people can help even in like the slightest ways. Sometimes it doesn't have to be this, you know, big thing right. where you're, you know, starting an organization and you're, you know, doing ABC and D. Sometimes it's literally just like being human and providing that that human experience. Hear that? Just be kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, really at the end of the day, yeah. it's so <laughs> it's so simple yet it seems to be for a lot of people mm-hmm. so hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I do want people to know that in the show notes, we will have some information and ways for people to find different resources that may be helpful um, for them around this healing journey. And before we sign off, Amanda, any last words? Seize the day. Go get it. You got this. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Daughters of Change podcast. To learn more about today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can visit daughtersofchange.com forward slash podcast. You can connect with Daughters of Change on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching those platforms for Daughters of Change. If you are a daughter of change yourself and would like to appear on the show, send me an email at marie at daughtersofchange.com. Thanks again for taking the time to listen today. Take care.